Welcome to the Non-Alcoholic Drinks Podcast, helping you navigate the ever-growing world of what non-alcoholic drinks have to offer by bringing you the latest news, interviews, and drink reviews. Now, here is your host, Jonathan Lambrianidis. Hello, and thank you so much for joining me on another episode of the Non-Alcoholic Drinks Podcast brought to you by tipplezero.com. This is a podcast for anyone looking to take the guesswork out of what an alcoholic drink to try next while staying up to date with the latest news and new releases. My name is Jonathan Lambrianidis, and today's episode is supported by Brunswick Aces, the creators of Australia's first non-alcoholic gin, founders of Australia's first non-alcoholic bar and bottle shop, and the online home of Non-Alcoholic. They have been kind enough to offer listeners a 12% discount using the code TIPPLE12 at checkout on their wide range of non-alcoholic beer, wine, and spirits from all over the world. So to find out more, head over to brunswickaces.com and choose how you drink, not if you drink. So on today's episode, I'm chatting with Erica from Nista. Now, if you've been looking for a dark non-alc spirit that has some really great complexity and mouthfeel and depth and heat to it, I think I've found one for you, or potentially even two if you like oaky and smokiness as well. So if you don't know who Nista are, they are a Swedish non-alcoholic brand that craft some amazing complex non-alc spirits. Today, I'm going to chat with Erica, the founder, and she is located in Sweden. It was early morning there, and the serendipitous piece, just to keep an ear out for as we get towards the end of the episode, is when she's talking about how she loves one of the cocktails with cold coffee, you can hear the coffee machine going on in the background, so I thought that was great, and I actually kept it in there because it, it matches. It's perfect. So let's get on to the chat with Erica today, and hopefully it's a good one for you. Erica, hello, and welcome to the Non-Alcoholic Drinks Podcast. It's great to finally catch up. Thank you. Likewise. I am really glad you got to try them. I know we've been trying to sort that out for a little while, but it was great to get them from the Brunswick Aces guys who sorted me out with a bottle of each. And yeah, I don't know why it felt so surreal to kind of have a bottle from Sweden. It feels like a never a Everland, a never away land. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it feels like it's so far away that when I had it, I'm like, oh, well, it's kind of special. But no, it's awesome to have them for a few weeks to try them out before chatting to you today. So it would be great to hear a little bit about your background and how you got into the space and got going with Nista as a brand and a company. Absolutely. Well, I've, I've always worked with food and branding and communications. I've never really you know, bothered about a career or that kind of thing. Got into the non-art space in 2015 with another drinks brand. So I've really you know, experienced firsthand how this whole trend has got, you know, globally and then different markets are in you know, different stages. For example, the US, you know, they, they started off quite slow, but now they're really picking up speed. So that brand that we worked on got some awards. It was really praised, but there were also some some challenges. And around that time, we saw that there had been a non-alc spirit launching. Obviously, you know, into the space, uh, we as a team ordered one of the first few bottles, and I was so surprised. I didn't I didn't think that it tasted bad, but I didn't think it resembled a spirit at all. And I looked at it and, and I knew that, you know, the guys behind this brand, you know, this was Seedlip, but there are also, you know, new brands coming, doing the same brand story, the same positioning, really expensive, you know, for something that when you look in the back, it's like, how much water? It's like almost just water. It was a starting point for this whole new category. Anyway, so I tried, you know, I was, I was confused. I realized that it's not the point that it should be spirit-like and challenging and complex and difficult. But the point is, you know, to make it socially acceptable for someone who is caring about health not to drink. 
So what matters is that you can go out, you can you know, be with your friends, you can have something that doesn't taste bad in the glass. But I thought, hey, like, what about bartenders? You know, can they really use this? You know, are there enough, enough margins for them to be able to use this? We're based in Malmö, so it's in the very south of Sweden, and we're just 25 minutes from Copenhagen. So we went to Copenhagen, and we went to the top bars, and we did blind tests, and we put a lot of questions. Not just like, you know, will these products work, but rather if we set aside the intoxication effect, because, you know, that would always be something that alcohol brings. If we put that aside, you know, what is it that makes a whiskey so nice? What is it that makes it, you know, so good? as a base for, for certain drinks. You know, what kind of characteristics are there in there? Well, you know, there are the smokiness, the tannins, um, and based on their questions or on their answers, you know, I went in, into the kitchen. So Gnista is more built as you'd build a meal. You know, well, we need acidity. Where can we get the acidity? Rhubarb is fantastic, etc. And then it ended up with sort of a combination of, I suppose, cooking methods. We have distillates, for example, so we have infiltration and smoking. So it's a combination of, of different things, but... In my head, what matters is the liquid. You know, I want to be able to offer something that does the job when you don't want the alcohol sometimes or always or, you know, just on the one drink for that night. When you don't want the alcohol and it's a spirit drinking, a dark spirit drinking occasion, I want liquids that really will make the job. Yeah, and they give you that feeling that you are drinking something that is actually similar to a fine spirit. It's not just there because it has to be there. It's there because it belongs there and someone would actively choose to drink it. And I think that was kind of the first thing I came across because it was really funny to hear you say the ones that you tried didn't quite land. I um, had one which will remain nameless and it was a dark spirit. I had it and it actually was so far from the mark that I was actually a little bit worried to try the barreled oak. It was that kind of, it had that much of a pronounced effect on me. And it was, I kind of summed up the courage to get over it and get onto the barreled oak. And I couldn't quite believe the level of oakiness and smokiness in there. And then looking at the floral wormwood, the hints of citrus in there as well. So I know that the flavor profiles would be limitless because like you said, you're building it like a food. So I guess the flavor profiles and the ingredients are limitless. So how did you go about choosing that, narrowing all that down to land on the flavors that you ended up with? You know, I did some, some research because, again, you know, what matters wouldn't be the actual, you know, flavor imitations of spirit. You know, that didn't work. But I think I, I did look into like, OK, so certain gins, what kind of herbal, you know, floral variations are there? And also did the same for, for whiskeys. You know, I you know, found various like maps. But then I think, you know, just 20 years of, of cooking to, to start with, I wanted to have a base that I could use for different, you know, for different kind of, of liquids. And so this base consisted of wormwood, lavage, rhubarb, fresh ginger, pepper and oak. That is really, and, and it still goes into the, the mustard brew. But what happens is that quite soon you realize that there is room for some small variations, but not massive changes. So, for example, if you use spring rhubarb and compare that to August rhubarb, yes, you know, you will have a different acidity, etc. If you're using a different wormwood leaves, have very different bitterness. So what happens, we've tried to standardize and, and, and really I created these kind of first ones. But then I found a fantastic guy called Frederick, who is our master blender. And he's he's almost too you know fine with flavors so it's you know i'm like no no i, I want more you know habanero more more punchiness more you know more more bitterness more and he's like no i want the perfect balance of everything but anyways so he's the one who's been creating and developing these recipes so these days we don't put in x amount of um 
uh, wormwood leaves, we put in, we create that on the side and we put in, you know, X amount of bitterness into the master brew. So it's really adapted to the time of year or the flavor that's coming out of the ingredients and making sure that what you're getting out of it matches what people are expecting from the drink and the actual profile of the wormwood or the barrel oak itself. Yeah, but I mean, but like, you know, the early batches, it was like, you know, the, we, we did one and that was perfect. And then we created a second one and it was a bit lean. <laughs> so these were like very early batches. Yeah. And then we created a third one and they were super bitter. So I think I lost Norway as a country because it was... <laughs> Because it was, it was so bitter. You know, we had this in Porto. He loved it. I mean, it's a small country; it doesn't matter. But he he got he got you know some of the bars really you know excited. We got the got like the monopoly, but then it was it was way too bitter for for you know the ordinary man. But since then, you know, it's been two years. So since then, we've adjusted. So these days, they're much more stable. Yeah, and that is really interesting to hear. The people I've spoken to who create the spirits, especially, say that the seasonality is something which is so hard to get across initially because things are so different. And like you said, the August versus the spring rhubarb can provide such a different impact. So it sounds like you've got uh, Frederick there as a team to work with you. Do you have anyone else on board? Is it just the two of you who are creating and building building this and getting it global? So he's on the production side, and then I work with Magnus, uh, who I've been working with for years now. He's really he's like a designer and engineer, but he's just super you know, creative and get things done. And then there's Mark, uh, who's Brit, British, uh, who is like the, uh, well, the marketing director, you'd say. But he's he just he got on board quite recently. So, he, so what we've done, he just started now, like with small tests for, um, um, you know, for, for paid media. So in essence, we've we've been around for almost two years and we haven't spent anything on marketing, like zero. We've grown completely organically. We haven't done any any ads, you know. And I think what we what we have is you know good product and a different positioning. Yeah, and that's right. I think it's build it and they will come, especially down here in Australia. So many products get a bit of a cult following or start to really get some traction based off just simple word of mouth or people talking to one another and then kind of seeing it somewhere in an ad or something else. And then all of a sudden it starts flying really quite quickly. It, it does take a long, I mean, I, I know a lot of brands that really, you know, excel during COVID and the lockdown and because, you know, they got out and they, you know, did the whole online, um, you know, selling directly to people. But if you don't have a budget, it's it's very hard. Yeah, I imagine it would be. And I think that's one of the things I hear a little bit when people say they're coming into the space or starting up a new business is they want to do it on their own. And they really want to bootstrap it and get it going. But it sounds like you've really managed to get through that period and get it growing and now build it with a team around you. So in terms of the product and creating it from a process point of view, I know you said you guys do it in small batches and by hand. So how do you go about producing it and, and essentially making it? So in essence, we have like this master brew where we add quite a few of these ingredients uh, and some of them are, you know, prepared on the side and some of them go in directly. And then we create on the side like vodka extracts. In floral wormwood, we have juniper, oregano, star anise and habanero. So we, you know, soak out these, but, but this is done, you know, on beforehand and it's put on oak barrels. And then we also have the distillates that are made on, on the side. So we have the master brew, we have the distillates and we have the, like the vodka. But, you know, it's really good stuff in there. And I think, you know, people that care about taste they will know. For example, if we just talk about pepper and pepper or cinnamon and cinnamon, you know, it's like worlds apart, depending on what you choose. We do add at the end the preservatives, which I don't like. 
because this is, you know, to be consumed as a dark spirit on occasions when you when you drink a dark spirit, you should be able to store it as you'd store a dark spirit. Yeah, and having those preservatives in the product really lets you get it to a broader audience, get it to the world, right? And you can kind of share it out and have the end product resemble what it left you with, right? And give people the experience it's meant to give them. Talking about the spirit specifically, the barreled oak. So when I was drinking that, I found it had that oakiness and the smokiness and then the sweet spice as well. And the flavors were kind of really dark and complex. Yeah. And I think after my bad experience, it was a really interesting drink to get my hands on. And I was really quite pleased with the fact that it was really, really good. So could you chat maybe a little bit around the flavor profile in each glass and, and what people can really find and expect from it? What we have in both of them is is, is syrup. We have, uh, again, both, you know, the pepper, ginger and habanero because these kick in on, you know, different places. So what you have, you know, in the smell, I want you to go through. So in a sense, what you get is smokiness, uh, lots of, you know, rye and greens, but also some sweetness from the syrup, the raisins uh, and all this stuff. And that is, again, balanced by the bitterness from the wormwood and, and a few of these other, you know, things going inside. Yeah, and like you said earlier, I did find that both of them have that kind of similar baseline flavor profile, but then as they build, they are really quite distinct and separate to one another. Given they are so different overall, how, if you had to choose an occasion, how would you kind of place them? Where would you place them? And what would the occasion be that you'd prefer to drink one or the other at? The Wormwood is definitely an aperitivo. I like to drink it room temp, potentially with some lemon, um, some like, you know, with a piece of ice. If you're into more into a long drink, you can mix it with a soda or tonic or a ginger beer. So, you know, aperitivo, light, fresh, summer. And then it goes like, oh, by the way, if you like the barrel oak, you should try it with a bit of uh, Japanese soil. Yeah, right. It's something that is at London bartender is his favorite. Like when he does the cooking, it's his favorite, like a small sip. Just it's savory, different. Yeah, right. I'll give it a go. Yeah. I like the barrel oak after dinner. So when you want to create either a cocktail, which doesn't have to be very difficult, you can just add some really, you know, some lemon ginger beer or one of those classic ones like Manhattan or Old Fashioned, or you drink it neat at room temp. How do you like it? I like them both neat. I've tried them both neat. I've had them both in a couple of cocktails. I was looking at the soy, the soy version of it, the soy cocktail, because I wrote that up as part of the review I've got. And I was really interested to give it a go, but haven't done that yet. So after I chat to you, I will do that. And it sounds like you've been working with quite a few different bars and, and bartenders as well. So how's that gone? And how's the feedback been going from bartenders to customers as well? Well, I think bartenders in general are our biggest fan club they really look for useful spirit substitutes that you can use that aren't too costly but with this that you can make these you know classic drinks that people will you know continue to want like a negroni or an old-fashioned you know it's it's been in fashion for years and years and years and it will continue to be so at bars yeah and it sounds like they've taken it up at a rate of knots and it gives them the flexibility to offer a low alcohol cocktail or a no alcohol cocktail and just really open up their menu to other people and really keep building upon drinks that may have been around for a while and add a different touch to them. Yeah. But if you for example take the floral wormwood you can take it in so many different directions. There is one recipe from a fantastic bar called Strum in Copenhagen. They mix it with the same part grapefruit and cream. And then, you know, shaken with a wormwood. So you have that direction, but you also have others going more into like the more vinegary side. So more acidity, more fruitiness. So you can take it into different directions without adding too many things. 
Nice. That's awesome. And I think, you know, one of the big things that people talk about when they get to this point where they've got a product and it's amazing and everyone's kind of starting to get it ranged and moving through the world and through the, the major retailers is it took a lot of iterations to get here. So did you have many challenges or many iterations along the way to get it to a point where you've now got it being picked up globally? The challenges were very few when, you know, developing the liquids and, you know, creating the brand and knowing, you know, where we wanted to sit in, in the category and in the market. Because, you know, again, it's it's just the liquid essential. Quality, liquid, occasion, central. You know, it's above anything. That was easy. But then, you know, we launched right before COVID. And again, you know, when you have plan of growing at bars and restaurants, well, you know, it's tricky. So we spent last year, first we had a kickstart campaign to get funding to finalize the Barrel Oak, which we did. We had this, we had this campaign early 2020. So it was called Sober, Sober Party Animal. And so what we did was that we, we placed this ad. Uh, it was a bit of a, like a gimmicky thing. And we said, you know, hey, come to Sweden, bring a friend. We'll put you in the, one of the coolest hotels in Stockholm and get you, you know, to party all weekend. Your friend should do it like normal. You yourself should be party animal who's, you know, hardly ever sober. You need to do it with Knista and then give us a report at the end. It got such a spin. I mean, it got viral. I was in, you know, TV shows in Colombia and, and the US and, you know, Australian radio shows. And it was just, it was fantastic. So we had 25,000 applications. And that really, and, and these were people, you know, creating videos and typing down why and and that, you know, what started off as a fun thing, it, it, it really made me quite humble because, yes, you know, you can have a lot of, um, um, you know, added benefits and you know, health benefits and, you know, special routes. Um, but really, you know, imagine if you can create something that and just, you know, plant the seed of these people that, you know, what if I could do it sober for, for one weekend? Just planting that seed, like imagine the impact you could have when you talk, because, you know, the health people, they're going to find us anyway. But, but really what it also made was that it gave us lots of PR, lots of contacts, lots of people getting in touch. And so 2020 was really spent developing partnerships because you want it to be right. This is a special product. It needs to be taken care by people who really know what they're doing, who are dedicated and which I'm sure you know, you know, working within the NOLO space is not hard because people, they are really dedicated. They are into the space for a reason. But finding these partners and, you know, establishing the, the partnerships going forward. So in 2021, it's been a lot about just launching, you know, everywhere and, and scaling. For example, in the US, it goes super well. So that's nice. In Australia, we're just about to get Brunswick Aces to do the job for us. And they are, again, super, you know, they, they know exactly what they do. They know where they want to go. Yeah, no, it is really great to have that bar down there. And I've been down there once, actually, just between lockdowns, I managed to get there. And it was awesome to see the range of drinks and the list they've got there and how it's always evolving and growing. So for you guys, it really sounds like it's that period where it's looking to kind of develop and grow and put all the puzzle pieces together and not only get it ranged and into store, but also then into people's hands and into their hearts and minds as well, where they've become educated and they know what it's all about. They know what the flavor profile does and also what it's for and how they can enjoy it and drink it. Yeah. And, and again, you know, if, if they tried a non-nut spirit, they might have tried three and they're completely different. If they tried one and had a bad experience or just an experience that didn't meet their expectations, well, they might not want to try another one. So it's, it's a bit about education. It's also about following, I would say, you know, the cycles of no and low. So if you, if you take Sweden, it's a small country, but all our booze is sold here, you know, via the monopoly. This is chains of, of stores. 
And the positioning of the dark spirit, very important for me. You know, I don't, I don't want to be sold in next to the juices in the supermarkets in Sweden. So I wanted to be, you know, when you go and buy your wine, that's where you get it and stuff. And I started talking to them, you know, two years ago and they were really, you know, hesitant and no, 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 you know, we don't believe in this. And it's just, you know, made up thing, the non-alic spirit thing. We kept the discussion going and after, you know, a year ahead, they got back and they said, mm, you know what, I think it's, this is mostly something that you need to drink when you're out, you know, in a bar, you need the bartender to create a drink and tell the story. It's not something you buy at home. And I obviously, I, I gave them some statistics saying, hey, you know, look, this is from Still Ventures. People drink this at home. And now this, um, just like a month ago, they came back and they say, we think this is really good and very exciting. We want to launch it in 2020. <laughs> okay, good. So, that, so that's, you know, that's why it's like, and I'm sure they're right. And if we launched this in Systembolaget in the Monopoly two years ago, it would have been too early. People wouldn't have bought it. Or they would have bought it and, it, you know, they wouldn't know what to do with it. So it's it's really following and knowing where, you know, where the trend sits in, in different places. That's so great to see they were for so long like, no, it doesn't fit. It doesn't work. I don't want it. And now all of a sudden the pennies dropped and it's time to be like, I need it and I needed it yesterday. Why haven't I got it? Yeah. Um, it's quite interesting to see that. And to be honest, down here is not too dissimilar. It's quite the same. I know that the supermarkets and everyone else is getting on board and it's really great to see it growing and the whole industry and category growing. Um, so more people, more eyeballs are on it. And essentially that just means more awareness and more growth, which is really awesome to see. And I'm glad it's really starting to happen over there as well. Jumping in really quickly to let you know that everything I've spoken about with Erica today, the drinks and the reviews are all going to be over at tiplezero.com forward slash session 010. Nearly forgot it there. Um, but you can find everything there and get all the information about today's episode, where to find Nista and how you can get your hands on a bottle as well. And to wrap up, I chatted to Erica about her favorite drinks and the way that she likes to enjoy the product after working on it for the day is all done and dusted. So let's wrap up with that and get to the end of today's episode. So I know we spoke about it a little bit earlier and we've touched on it quite a bit around the different cocktails, but could we recap and go back over your favorite cocktails and how you like enjoying them? Because there's always something quite nice to hear about the way that the founders or the creators enjoy the drinks, because it just means that it's just a little bit around of an insight as to how the drink got started and how everything got created. And it just helps kind of give you something to look out for when you're drinking it. So have you got a couple of favorites or what would be your go-to when you're drinking it at home at the end of a day and Nista work is done and it's time to enjoy a Nista instead? Well, the floral wormwood is, again, neat uh, with a bit of lemon, sort of, you know, 19, 20 degrees. So like just below room temp. When I create these these uh, cocktails, uh, I use the one with the cream that I told you about with the, with the grapefruit and the cream, but I make it with oat cream, which is even better. So not as like fatty. So it's, you know, one part Nista, one part grapefruit uh, juice, and one part either, you know, cream or oat cream. And then just shake it with ice. So it's really, you know, it's an interesting, easy to make cocktail without alcohol. And the Berlot neat, if you want something that is not as sweet, I mix it with, with soda. Uh, what you get then is mostly a weird tasting drink, I would say. Like, you know, it's, you, you, you can really taste the different nuances. But I also like it with, with lemon neat. If I were to make a cocktail, I like it with coffee, coffee like cold, cold coffee. Uh, and the battle. Brilliant. Well, Erica, thanks again for chatting today. It's been really awesome to hear the way that Nista go around making the products and how you've created something which I don't think I've seen very many people 
do from a food perspective. Um, so it's great to hear that. And I really look forward to hearing the way that people enjoy it too. So I'll have everything in today's episode over in the show notes over at tipplezero.com forward slash session zero one zero. So you can find everything there and I'll have all the drinks, all the reviews ready for you to go and also where you can buy them. Well, thank you so much for, for having me on, Jonathan, and for being such fun. All right, so I hope you enjoyed hearing all about Knista in today's episode with Erica. Like I mentioned just a minute ago, you can find everything from today's episode over at tiplezero.com forward slash session 010. And I'll have all the reviews up there for the barreled oak and the floral wormwood and the links to where you can find them as well. Now, if you're looking for some other information around what I'm up to and what else is going on at Tipple Zero, head over to at Tipple Zero Drinks on Instagram and check it out there. Or if you want to get in touch and let me know what you're drinking, drop me an email at podcast at tipplezero.com. Until next time, I hope you guys enjoy some amazing non-alc drinks and I'll chat to you soon. Bye.